At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. The last three years have been tough on Canadian entrepreneurs. That's why we are so excited to announce the 2023 Startup Canada Tour, a five-stop national opportunity to connect entrepreneurs across Canada. Join us for keynotes, panels, and practical workshops, an exhibitor zone featuring Canada's support organizations, speed mentoring in our Ask the Expert lounge, and an opportunity to compete in on-site pop-up pitches. We will be in Whitehorse on April 25th, Halifax on May 2nd, Vancouver on May 11th, Calgary on September 28th, and stay tuned for details on our final stop in Ontario. Want a free pass? Use code PODCAST at checkout. Learn more and get tickets now for the closest stop near you at startupcanadatour.ca. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Bronwyn Bridges, co-founder of Pragma Clin, based in St. John's, Newfoundland. Bronwyn is CEO and co-founder of Pragma Clin, a medtech company that has developed a digital assessment tool for neurological conditions such as Parkinson's disease. Bronwyn has helped to leverage over a million dollars in non-dilutive government funding, and she's received over $200,000 through pitch competition wins. Bronwyn has won many awards over her research career, such as Youth of the Year, Terry Fox Humanitarian Scholar, and National Impact Award in Age Tech. Over the past year alone, she's received another dozen awards, and she's participated in some of the top programs for entrepreneurs, such as Creative Destruction Lab, Canadian Tech Accelerators, Asian Pacific Foundation for Women Missions, and more. Plus, she's a winner of Startup Canada's Startup Global Program. Bronwyn, welcome to the show. Hello, and thanks for having me. We're delighted to have you here. We're delighted to talk about the important work you're doing. But the way we like to start things off is trying to get at some of the ideas that we're going to be discussing later in the show after we get to know you a little bit. So what's the top piece of advice that you hope fellow entrepreneurs will stick around to listen for in this conversation? 
I think just understanding that you need to take risks and make the big decisions that you might be scared to make. I went from a science background and decided to come out with a business. So I think that you need to be able to take those innovative ideas and transform them into something that can change people's lives. Beautiful. I'm looking forward to this already. So take us back to the beginning. You're doing research. You meet a man named Gord and now you're co-founders. How did all of this happen? Yeah, I get asked this on a daily basis. It's a very confusing and odd story for a lot of people to comprehend. Um, But it all started when I first moved to Newfoundland back in 2019. I was studying the antioxidant properties that blueberries have in protection against Parkinson's. So a very lab-based project in which I worked on for about four months And then our lab was flooded, we had snowmageddon, we had COVID, and everything that could have went wrong went wrong. Um, But for me, it was truly a blessing because I was giving a presentation and Gord, who had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's, was attending the presentation trying to find out new and innovative ways he could help not only him, but the people around him who were also diagnosed. And he thought the Blueberry Project was a cool idea. So we got some early injection of funds on his end to be able to put together a project with the NRC and the province of Newfoundland to be able to develop the beginning of Pregmaclin. But at the time, I was, as I said, a student, an innovator, and I was really scared to make that leap to the business side because I am stubborn. And I wanted to graduate. So I wanted to stay in school. And I was like, my parents will be so disappointed in me. But I know they wouldn't be. But that's the motto. So I decided to stick with school and had a really open conversation with my supervisor explaining to him that, you know, this is a really great option for me to work on while I can't be in the lab because of COVID. So basically, can I just work with Gord on this as a side project and I'll come back to school when you're ready to let me come back because I was unable to actually conduct any of the lab work while COVID was happening just because of the restrictions that were going on. So the timing of everything worked out really well in my favor. I ended up spending a lot of time at the coffee shop with Gord, coming up with all the <laughs> the systems and the things that are currently done in practice and how really awesome free healthcare can be, but also all the downfalls that come with that. And uh, we created Pregmaclin. So that early development that we did with a contracting company, we created a software that was able to assess motor conditions. And then over the past two years now, which is wild to think it's been that long, we've ended up hiring our own team. We're now a team of nine full-time employees. We have a software that has validation trials about to begin, and it's all been super exciting and rewarding, and it all started from an idea based off of blueberries. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I certainly heard about blueberries as a, a, you know, as as a miracle food. do they tell me about the properties that you've discovered in blueberries that 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 help uh, with Parkinson's? There's a few different um, uh, products such as blueberries. There's lingonberries. There's dark chocolate, red wine if you like to indulge, um, but not too much. And these properties that they have, they actually have um, a protecting effect um, that basically, in in simple terms, it puts a protective layer around your neurons so that they don't degradate as quickly. And so for blueberries, they have this really high antioxidant property that avoids the neurons 
in simple terms, we'll say bursting or disappearing, which is actually what causes Parkinson's. So we lose a lot of those neuron connections and then you end up having the motor side effects and the non-motor side effects to come. And so blueberries try and help create uh, the bonds to keep those neurons there longer. So um, the, it's all, you know, the boring things of like free radicals and we could get really scientific about it. But um, yeah, we had really good results in, in the mice models and the next and the cell models as well. And the next thing for us would have been the human trials. But you learn very quickly how difficult it is to get a clinical trial on humans off the ground, especially here in Canada where we have really good regulations. But it makes it very difficult for those research projects to actually be able to commercialize, sadly, because of that. Right. Um, so I remember trying uh, traveling with my family on the North Shore of the St. Lawrence, uh, north and east of Quebec City, where nobody speaks English to you. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and beautiful, beautiful country. And they had the best chocolate covered blueberries I've ever had. So I think it was dark chocolate. So is that the miracle wow, food then? Wow, that's a great combination, isn't it? You know, I, my research actually combined sea cucumber and blueberries. But let me tell you, sea cucumber does not taste that good. So um, I would go with the dark chocolate blueberries. I think that's a much better alternative. Amazing stuff. Tell me a little bit about Gord. What was his background to, to go into business with? Yeah, Gord actually has had, um, we always say that he just surprises us each and every day. Uh, we learn something new and fun, exciting fact about him. Um, but he actually has had quite a career in, you know, entrepreneurship and he's always had those side hustles and, and things to get by. But he's actually an architect. Uh, by background. So he used to do all of the lovely drawings and, and that's where he drew the first mock-up of the system was his creative skills that he had to create engineering blueprints. And so when he first, you know, did this, we say, oh, you did it on the back of a napkin. That's basically what it was, is he had these ideas and, and brought them to me. And I'm like, this man is crazy. <laughs> but then I was like, crazy smart because it ended up being this wild idea. And I was so fascinated how he came up with it, but he was really, really motivated because when he first went through the process, he was actually an avid runner his entire life as a, a side passion. He's ran in the Boston Marathon several times and, and you name it. But one of the times he was running in his mid-50s, he started to notice he was becoming incredibly slow in comparison and he was having trouble with one of his legs. So it was it was at the time gait, but he didn't realize that. So he brushed it off as an age-related symptom, which sadly happens to a lot of people in the healthcare system. And then several years later, he started to notice he was having some balance issues, some coordination issues, and he was having trouble shaving in the morning. And that's when he knew there was something wrong, but he didn't know what he was a single man with no kids and all he knew was that he needed to be seen so he ends up going to his doctor and, and saying like what can you do for me they said you need to see a neurologist and he asked what the process was they said we'll refer you it's between a one to two year wait time and he almost <laughs> yeah had conniption he's like i cannot wait one to two years i already waited two years because i thought it was nothing so he, luckily <laughs> he ended up yeah, he ended up having a connection in Montreal um, with one of his cousins who worked at the Movement Disorder Clinic, and he was able to fly there. So luckily, he had the means to be able to take this step and had the connections. And sadly, that's what happens in the healthcare system a lot is you have to have connections. And 
that's just the way it works, which which is tragic. But he did have those connections. So he went to Montreal and got quickly into see a neurologist within a month. And the neurologist told him he had Parkinson's disease in 2019. So they entered him into a clinical trial at the time, actually, for a new drug discovery. And part of the trial, they attached these sensors to him to be able to assess the progression of using the drugs and not using the drugs. And he was like, these sensors are horrible. They're these big bulky things you have to strap on your chest and your legs and your arms. And he really struggled with fine motor. So he really struggled to put them on without help. And that's kind of how the motivation of like, there's got to be some better way to help in these clinical trials came up, did a whole bunch of research on it. Um, to tell you the drug failed and he actually had a placebo effect. So the drug did nothing for him in the end, but he came from the trial with all of this motivation to help others and think of new and innovative ways that we could be assessing patients better because the subjective process leads 25% of the cases being misdiagnosed as it is. And and he knew that this just wasn't wasn't the best solution out there. But sometimes I feel like people just don't talk about diseases such as Parkinson's as much as they maybe should. So he really helped to start a wave of, of chatter. And since then, it's really taken off. Right. Can you position Parkinson's for me? I mean, it's it's a neurological disease. I guess it ha- it strikes most people in the fifties or sixties. Uh, so a lot of our uh, listeners might not be familiar with it, but it strikes me as a, a quite common uh, fate that awaits a lot of us. And right now, there really are no treatments. Correct. Yeah. We, um, for, for Parkinson's disease specifically, it's a loss of those dopamine neurons in the brain that lead to a lot of motor conditions and a lot of non-motor symptoms as well. And so some of this you'll see will be balance and coordination issues. You'll notice some gait and slowness. And one of the main factors that a lot of people know Parkinson's for is the tremor. So you may notice people have a hand tremor or they have, you know, a face tremor, etc. And that is one of the main problems because if it hits you while you're still in the working age, this can greatly impact your work, your work, depending on what you're doing. Um so like I said, luckily for Gord, he was an entrepreneur and, and he could kind of pivot, but there's people who work in an office or they work doing hard labor. And those are things that this will impact your daily living um, to a drastic extent. And one of my favorite uncles had Parkinson's and I remember, you know, a very smart, lively man. He, he kept dancing right, to, right, right till his last days. But yeah, the tremors sort of separated him from society because mm-hmm. it was hard to know how to talk with him his mind was perfectly fine but the the the, the, the tremors you know it, it was an odd thing that 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 uh, would make people want to avoid someone like that yeah as so it's, it's a heartbreaking condition and i'm delighted that you're working on it that, that what what have you got that's different from what else is out there we realized very quickly um <clears throat> that there is so many symptoms, like over 40 symptoms that a patient can have. And the biggest thing is that this disease progresses completely different for each and every patient. So we call it, you know, a boutique disorder, which means that each patient is going to, it's going to come out completely different for each individual, depending on their stage, their progression, what their life looks like. Um, And so 
the the biggest thing that we noticed is that these sensors, for example, well, they're only tracking certain types of the motor tests. They're not tracking the non-motor tests. And then you have applications that might be tracking all of the non-motor tests, such as hallucinate hallucination sorry sleep disorders etc but they're not tracking the motor tests and we thought there must be a way that can capture all of the motor and all of the non-motor so a patient actually understands what they're going through on a full spectrum scale and i think one of the more eye-opening points for us which is where we realized that the non-motor stuff was just as important as the motor stuff if not more was when we had patients coming in to pilot this last summer and they would be going through the questionnaires and be like like, that's a symptom of Parkinson's. I thought I was just getting older. I didn't even realize that was a symptom of this. I just thought it was nothing. Um, and I think that's fascinating to know that you're living day to day, not realizing, oh, that's happening because of my disease. But we just brush so many things off and we're told, you know, especially living in free healthcare, like don't go to the emergency room unless you're dying. That's like such a common practice for us to say here because we know we'll wait six or seven hours and is it really worth going and checking? But these patients live with it on a daily basis. So we just thought there's got to be a way that we can improve, bring all of the pieces of technology together so that it's a software component, it's digitized, and it's able to progress as times progress, but also can capture all of the motor symptoms, all of the non-motor symptoms, and provide an accurate assessment that isn't subjective depending on your doctor. And you can go to one neurologist who tells you you do or you don't have Parkinson's disease and see somebody else and they say the opposite. And I think that's just fascinating that we we totally rely on one person's opinion because we don't have the resources to get a second opinion sometimes. Yeah, yeah, frightening. Um, and I presume there's a global market for this if we get it right. Correct. So here specifically, we have those long wait times because it's public health care. And... Another market that sees a very similar problem is the UK, which is another market we're working very closely with neurologists there. And they just actually spoke in the House of Commons about how much of an epidemic it is that people are waiting one to two years for a specialist right now. And their disease has progressed so much without medication by this point. So they're seeing very similar um, points than we are here in Canada. There is other markets as well, though, that are quite fascinating. And one of those that we're working with is e the UAE. So I recently just got back from Dubai. And in traveling there, I was fascinated to know that a lot of their cases are actually much younger. So here we see it typically over 65 and typically in men. But in the UAE, because there's so many expats that come in and the populations are so mixed, the genetics are also so mixed, and a big portion of their cases actually fall below 50. So there's people that are being diagnosed in late 30s up to 50 in these populations, which is very, very rare for us to see here in North America. So the, the epidemic of this needing to happen, and especially in areas like that where they're a lot more open to technology. So these populations that are growing into their 30s, they're very familiar with tech. So having a software system that can help them with this, that they can use from home and are comfortable to use, I think that's a very different market for us, but a really exciting one as well. Yeah, very exciting. So you've raised more than a million dollars for this company. Tell us a little bit about, and you've been doing this during COVID. <laughs> while um, also working on your PhD, hopefully. Um, so 
tell us what it what what you had to do in order to raise that 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 kind of money from so many sources. Well, it's definitely been a marathon and not a sprint to say the least, but it has been a bit of a whirlwind. So our very first traction, we did have those early projects I mentioned, the NRC in the province of Newfoundland funded us very early on, in which we'll be forever grateful for because there truly would be no Pragmaclin without those projects. From there, our next big thing was that we did a, a pitch competition in Newfoundland. That pitch competition was for $25,000. And at the time we were like, oh my gosh, this is so much money. <laughs> and I think it's so funny to look back and we're like $25,000. Like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with all that? And now I'm like, wow, payrolls, so much money. <laughs> like, it's just such a transition <laughs> over the last year. Um, but that first pitch competition was where we really were able to get our ourselves out there and tell people about what we were doing and get some early traction. So then we learned once we won the first pitch competition and did a few more and kept winning and kept winning, we realized this is a great business model for us right now. Let's just win the pitch competitions and then use the money from that against a project with the NRC in the province in where they'll fund a good portion of it. And we're basically like doubling our money. So that has worked super well for us over the past year. So much so it's been about a million dollars worth of pitch competitions and non-dilutive funding money. And we've been able to grow from myself and my co-founder to nine full-time employees who we actually have on payroll now. And I think that's a really, really big transition for us. And even just learning like this is not a project anymore. This is a company. But coming with that is we're hitting really terrible markets and investments are fewer and fewer and valuations are lower and lower. But we are at a point now where we do need outside capital. And so we are currently raising around and it's a very, very different ball game than doing the non-dilutive funding. But it will all pay off in the sense that maybe the funding applications will be a little bit less tedious in the end. I think for us, though, we are really in the R&D phase and being in healthcare, you can leverage a lot of those programs for a while because we're constantly innovating. We're constantly taking what we're learning from trials and making our product better. And so even when we're seeking that outside investment to an investor, it's an appealing thought that we're still going to be applying for non-dilutive funding. So really, if we get a million dollars from investors, we're planning to take that and leverage another million dollars from the government. So we're really doubling an investor's money with that. And so I think trying to build a business model off of a mixture of dilutive and non-dilutive, that's worked really well for us and, and is a lot of the reason we've been so successful in doing that. The advantage of the of winning the pitch competitions is you you get to meet so many entrepreneurs. You The, the judges are always really interesting people and they probably have great comments for you and offer to make connections. So that's kind of fun, um, uh, fundraising. Uh, how is it talking to prospective, you know, now you're back in the, in, in, in the, the, the traditional groove of, of going to investors or venture capitalists or angels. Um, how, how are you doing at that? That's a very different task and different mission, obviously. It is a very different task and a very different mission. And I think it takes a very different mindset. So I'm really trying to train myself to flip that in that 
when you pitch at these competitions, like you said, you get really great connections. People typically open up their network for you. But what you're winning on a lot of the time is the passion, the project, the team, and people are are buying into what you're doing based off of the idea. When you're having the investment conversations, people are buying into that because they see that they can make money off of it. So I think that you really have to come in with two different headsets of like, these people like what I'm doing because they're passionate about it. Whereas these people, they maybe they're passionate about it too. There are some investors who truly invest based off of personal passions. But for the most part, I mean, investors are in the game of investing for a reason. And so it's trying to change something that our value proposition starting is like, you know, we want to improve the patient experience, but it's how do you monetize that? So really being able to change that value proposition to we are still improving the patient experience, but this is how you can also make money by improving the patient experience. And you're also improving the clinician experience. So full circle, we're trying to help healthcare, but healthcare needs to have the cash flow for that. So it's, uh, it's, I would say less fun. I like pitch competitions because they're just like, if you've ever been in the room of a pitch competition, like the energy is so high. There's so many people, they're cheering you on. It's awesome. And you go into an investment room and it's very quiet. It's very still. And it's like, tell me your financials. So it's a very, very different landscape. Um, I love doing both though. I think that the investment conversations teach you something different and they make you really think about like, I get why you're doing it but let's talk long-term. So I think it gives you that, like the timeline, like what are your goals? What are your plans? People asking me, what's my exit strategy? I'm like, didn't I just start? Like, why am I trying to leave? <laughs> so I think I think it, it opens your mind for sure, but it also is kind of scary and makes you think like, oh, this is really a business now. Like when you're pitching for fun in these pitch competitions, I'm like, yeah, I'm loving it. It's awesome. And then I'm having investor conversations and I'm like, okay, this is serious. We have to be serious in this room now. You know, it's, it's two really, two very, different hats to wear yeah when they talk exit strategy it's really their exit they're wondering about they don't care what happens to you (laughs) you know what that's probably pretty accurate yep (laughs) um i i I don't really know in this mostly sort of post covid period can you do the rounds to potential investors virtually or do you have to get on a plane because uh there's a limited number of investors and, and angels in Newfoundland. Oh, there is a limited number of angels and investors in Atlanta, Canada, period, and specifically in healthcare. And that is something I think that has been very eye-opening is I have been super grateful that I've been able to travel a lot recently. I mean, grateful is, I guess, one word. is It's tiring for sure, but it's allowed me to meet a lot of really awesome people across the globe. And I've been in some amazing countries recently in which these connections are going to last a lifetime and they've opened up networks that I never thought I would be able to sit at a table and and be part of CEO roundtables in Singapore where I got to tell people across the world about what we're doing and how it's important. And I think that those experiences and the organizations that have let me do that has been fantastic. But I also... I'm very understanding and and well aware 
that that is a very hard thing to get here in Atlantic Canada. And you really have to be on a grind in order to find those opportunities. So people ask, like, I don't understand how you got to go here and you got to do this. And I'm like, when I tell you I hustle, you know, after I work a long day at the office, the laptop comes home and I'm like, okay, free time. Let's, you know, look up all the opportunities that we can have and ways we can increase connections and conversations we can have. Let's book meetings. Like, it really never stops. And and sadly, we romanticize the hustle and the grind a lot of the time, which self-care is important. Um, but in the startup world, it doesn't, it doesn't exist as much as I wish that maybe it did some days. And so it's taking those time out that these conversations, they're also benefiting the company. So I am very well aware that as a healthcare company, those resources are quite limited here. And and conversation looks so different. Um, to give you context, ye, I've I've been in Atlanta, Canada, and I've said, this is what we're raising. And then I've taken the same number to the American market and the UAE market, and I tell them that's what we're raising, and they're like, that's it? But I tell Canadians, and they're like, oh my gosh, you're not going to raise that. And I think it's such a different perspective. I, I've, I've heard it quoted before that a lot of a lot of Canadians invest not to lose and a lot of other markets invest to win. And I think that was just like so eye-opening that a lot of Canadian investors, myself included, you know, we're very risk adverse. We like to stay what's comfortable. We like to put in money that's comfortable to get by to make sure we can hit the goals. Whereas sometimes in other markets, they're like, let's give you a whole bunch of cash up front. Make sure you hit those goals. And if you wasted a little bit of money, it's fine. And so I find that so fascinating that it's just such a different perspective that I'm really learning about now. In general, we don't have the scale in Canada. Correct. The, 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 the investors who can do so many deals in high volume that they spread the risk around appropriately, which means they have less money to play with. Correct. Yeah. But there's, there is people here. I mean, I, I have met the people who are like, I've met the, the, the investors who, who actually are, you know, they're, they're ready to take the risks and they want to take the risks. Um, but I think having those people champion that, you know, it's okay that if you see a company that you truly believe in, like it's okay to actually believe in the size of their round and it's okay to be able to scale. But I think that when they say like money isn't always just money, that is crucial because a lot of money comes with ties attached to that. And the monies that come that have strategic partners and people who want to see the growth, so they do put in that capital, but they are able to help you scale in other markets. And for us, if the US market is like a target market in the end, then yeah, bringing on partners who are comfortable and understand the US market and the FDA approvals, et cetera, they're then their money in terms is worth more than the Canadian money in that sense as well. Right. So I'm glad you're getting on a plane and going all over the place to find Correct. the right partners because it's not just money. It's the people who are going to win with you or lose with you. And that makes a big difference. So, so how much money are you trying to raise now? Can I ask? Yeah, it's uh, 1.5 million. And what do you call this round? Let's see. This is the gray area we see. <laughs> so many people so many people have defined it. You know, is this a seed round? Is this a pre-seed round? Um, because it is a large pre-seed round. 
Um, but for an American, right. this is a, a regular small pre-seed round. And it's just because this is the first dilutive money that we've taken. It's considered our pre-seed. But it is a, a smaller round for bigger markets. It's considered a, a bit on the larger round for a Canadian market. Right. And if an investor is considering working with you, what timeline are you giving them? I mean, are, are you going to be in the market selling something in two years, three years, five years, any idea? Yeah, within the next two and and hopefully the next year and a half. Um, so we currently have uh, three different large validation trials lined up. And the validation trials that we line up, we also are quite specific on who we want to partner with, which has been Parkinson's Centers for Excellence. And so that way it gets us our name accredited in different organizations and, and they're all connected to each other. And so those organizations, when they sign on letters of intent for validation trials, it comes with a procurement at the end that there will be a sale once it's validated. So those are how we're getting our early adopters and how we're really getting into the market is post-validation trials, which the trials are, are set to begin this year. Fabulous. You sound like a very strategic person. Um, is, 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 who, who has helped you develop the strategy? Is, is this stuff that Gord is good at as a, as a design thinker and architect? Or do you have other really good advisors as well? You know what? My mom. <laughs> no, where, did, where did I get these qualities well, from? Your mom. My mom is so awesome. I got to say, I grew up so, so I'm so grateful for my mom. She has been the most organized overthinker for sure. I got those bad qualities from her too. But also, it's such a great quality to have. I think it's really made me, you know, second guess and question things. Sometimes you really do just have to pull the plug and you got to be like, let's just do it. Let's go for it. Because if we wait too long, we're going to miss out on the opportunity. So I think that Gord, who one of the symptoms of Parkinson's is like an impulsiveness. And and so he's actually made me be like, you know, I think we should think about this faster. So it's made me kind of speed up, but I'm very much the like, pull him in, let's strategize, let's talk about it. Like, what are the pros? What are the cons? And and that has very much come truthfully from my mom. Um, and growing up, she's always made me think twice about everything. Like, are you sure that's a good idea? But she's also always supported my crazy wild ideas as well. Like, hey, let's just pause on this PhD I spent three years on and let's try a business thing out. So she's also very supportive, but I think she's helped me be very strategic on on what I want in life. And, and therefore, it's, it's come into like, what do I want for the company and what do I see forward? But I've also had a lot of really great mentors over time and and recently over the past um, six months it's it's funny I live in a very small area St. John's Newfoundland is not big and when I moved here I slowly made connections but it was COVID yeah yeah, okay (laughs) and uh, when I moved here I struggled because it was COVID so I had a hard time meeting anybody and this business has allowed me to meet so many people which is great but I'm also I'd like to say an an extroverted introvert and that I love to socialize, but I also love to be by myself and just like think through life. And, um, and so funny enough, I, the Asian Pacific women's foundation of Canada, they took me to Japan in December absolutely incredible experience. Um, It was very eye-opening. I was the youngest person on the mission, had the least experience, but they brought me because they saw potential, which was very, very lovely. But I also ended up meeting a lady there who lives down the road from me in St. John's, Newfoundland, and I've never met before. And of course, it took us going to Tokyo, Japan in order to meet (laughs) each other. 
but she has become one of my best mentors. She is the sweetest, most genuine person, but she's like a true newfie. So she really like tells it how it is. And she has been through the ringer um, over the last like almost 30 years of her company. And I think she's really made me think too over the last six months, like be cautious on what you spend your time doing and who you spend your time talking to because at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for you. So I think she's really helped me be very strategic on on where my energy is focused and and how to stay on task for that too. So I definitely have, you know, mentors in life like my mom, but also like mentors in business such as her. But I do find women in the space very energizing because I find that there's not many women in tech. And when you surround yourself with people and women specific in this space, they're all very motivated to bring more women in so it's just like so full of energy so i find a lot of my mentors are women which i love well that's that's fabulous because uh when i was getting into the business world um we didn't have that many women and they, mm -hmm. and the we suffered for it we didn't have that wisdom we didn't have that point of view we didn't have that that, that imagination and those ideas and we didn't have those doers um so it's great that uh that, that we have access to more human capital now. I'm just uh, really interested in the discussion we just had about sort of as an entrepreneur being thoughtful and analytical as opposed to action oriented. The traditional, you know, mantra of entrepreneurship has been ready, fire, aim. And obviously that sows the seed of its own destruction. So I really love your solution that came from Gord. Let's think about this faster. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be my mantra from now on. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Like like you said, entrepreneurs are, are like, go, go. And I, I am a very busy person. I'm, I've always been a very busy person. and I feel the need to always be busy. But in saying that, I feel like you really also have to to think, is this worth my time? Is this worth my energy? Are these conversations actually getting us to that end goal? And I think we really romanticize like what goals are we setting? But the thing is, is we have to really, we have to think about the milestones that get us to that goal. Because if you're always thinking like, what's going to get us to the goal? What's the fastest pathway there? You may end up going down a very wrong path. Whereas if you are like, let's hit this milestone and then assess where we are, that if you're hitting all of the milestones, you're eventually going to get to the goal. But your path is, is truly windy. It's never going to be a straight path forward. So I think that doing things fast but being analytical about it, I think that's the best path forward for an entrepreneur is, is really think about things but get things done at the same time. Right. And I think that, the, you know, the, the mix of that, the temperature chart is going to be different for everybody. But somehow you got to find the, the, the one that works for you and the team and, and the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious about the name Pragma Clin. That sounds like it's meaningful, but I couldn't figure out it, figure it out. You know, it's funny who you talk to because when we go when we go to a neurologist, they're like, "Oh, I understand the name, totally fine." But if we talk to anybody in the business world, they're like, "What the heck is that name?" Um, and it's because it's a very very clinical practice name. So pragmatic and clinical combined is pragmaclin, basically to mean that we're doing things realistically, sensibly, and in a good fashion within the clinic, so that we're gathering the good data basically for a patient. That's really interesting. I, I I hadn't realized the origin of pragmatic and clinical, and I can see uh, the beauty of fusing the two together to 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 progress the industry. Um, in business, my belief is you have to talk 
in a language that your customers are going to understand. So it sounds like you nailed it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You have to explain it to the investors, but, but, but if, the, if, the, if, the, if the prospects and clients are going to get it right off, that's very I was going to say, as long as the people who are willing to spend money on it understand, it's absolutely, good. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I We do get asked to explain prims almost every time, though, which it's funny because we just call it prims now, like it's just a regular word. But prims is the name of our software that we created. And it's actually an acronym, but it's just so long to say that we've just started calling it prims. And people have accepted it's just oh it's the prim software and sometimes they'll not ask questions but when they do it's it's the parkinson's remote interactive monitoring system (laughs) so we we've really come with like oh what does that mean um we get that a lot blueberries are sort of really purple so i'm thinking prince purple rain blueberries i there's a song in there somewhere it's all combined yeah Um, tell us about your experience with Startup Global. It's obviously a flagship program for, for Startup Canada. And I'm just wondering how you heard about it and whether it did anything for you. Don't feel you have to say anything nice about it if you don't feel like it. Because, you know, we're, <laughs> we're affiliated with Startup Canada. We believe in Startup Canada. But hey, if we, if we can do better, that's great too. Imagine I just come on here and I'm like, they're terrible. (laughs) No, I think Startup Canada is absolutely amazing, actually. And, you know, I think it's uh, a nice, humble uh, look back, actually, because we actually applied for the pitch competition the previous year. And we made it through the first round, but didn't make it any farther. And so I think to look back and say that this past year, we were able to get all the way to the finals. We ended up coming second, winning a major prize. And I think um, it was. It was very humbling to see the progress that we've obviously made over the the year and and how much people have believed in us over the last year as well. And we were awarded the, you know what, you laughed at me saying St. John's is rural. We were awarded the Rural Entrepreneur Award. So I would just like to point out that even Startup Canada believes St. John's is not that big. (laughs) (laughs) So it's fine. (laughs) But um, (laughs) no, the, the program has been is it was truly great. They offer like this full suite of resources that are free for entrepreneurs to use that have, you know, different advice and different credits. You can go on and and look up different resources that are available. And I think that so many entrepreneurs do not take advantage of so many of the resources that are offered for free within this country. And I think Startup Global and Startup Canada are, are one of those prime examples. So this program allowed a lot of collaboration over the course of the year where I was able to meet other entrepreneurs and the judges were great, provided a lot of really great feedback to refine my pitch from the early days. And one thing I find um, it's it's a great thing because I've done a lot of pitch competitions, mm-hmm. as we know, and they're always different. So the target audience is different. The time is different. The setting is different. The you know market you're talking to is different. So you have to change the numbers and the traction, et cetera. But uh, with Startup Global, it's actually the fastest one I've ever done. And so it's like a 90-second pitch. You have to be so like to the point. This is what we do. This is who we impact. There's no deck. So it's really just about like getting your words and getting your point across. And I think that was a really good practice for us as well, too, for the, you know, as we call it, the elevator pitch, which is something that we underestimate how frequently you need an elevator pitch. 
like literally in the elevator. I'll meet some really cool people on the way at a conference in the elevator. And I'm like, okay, I only got 30 seconds to tell them what we do. And so I think that that was really, really great for us to be able to practice that on a large scale and, and hear feedback on how to improve that. So not only do, are they offering all of this full suite of packages and, and things that they can provide for resource-wise, but the pitch competition was amazing. And it was an opportunity to be able to go and connect in person with other entrepreneurs and people in the ecosystem, the judges, everybody. And then they obviously provided a, a cash prize, but the in-kind services that you get as well are fantastic. And in-kind prizes are actually amazing for a startup organization like it has leveraged us a lot of stuff over the last year the money has been helpful but the money typically goes for payroll or other things where you need to pay your employees and the in-kind prizes are a way that it's a collaborative approach where you're getting to meet people for resources that you may not have thought you needed until you needed them and then you're getting a free video here you're getting uh, you know credits for your online platform here. And I think that those are fantastic. So Startup Global does a great job of, of capturing this. And, and yeah, Startup Canada has been amazing for us. Wow. Well, thank you for, for that. I'm, I'm glad to hear it was so helpful and so geared to entrepreneurs' actual needs, even if they don't know they have some of those needs yet. Those are the best ones when you discover, hey, here are some. Those are the best yeah, ones, aren't they? can lead me yeah. along a path that I didn't know about and doesn't get talked about. So, so, so that's fabulous. Yeah. Um, I wish you such tremendous luck in your uh, search for funding. You're obviously starting on uh, a new phase of a very exciting journey. That's also so important uh, to all of us who want to grow old with, with dignity and, uh, and, and in a functioning healthcare system. So uh, I wish you uh fair winds and 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 and, and kind seas on this journey thank you <laughs> thank you very much we've been talking with Brahman bridges co-founder of pragma clin in saint john's newfoundland and uh she's uh doing really important work we're going to keep an eye on you and we'll talk again awesome thank you for having me Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.